Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by the Taking Church to the Community Video Toolkit. Explore strategies your congregation can use to reach beyond its walls with worship, community events, ministries, and service. Learn more and watch introductory videos at churchleadership.com shop. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can Christian innovation address the needs of people who are under-resourced and undervalued? In this Leading Ideas Talks episode, Kimberly Daniel shares how Christian innovation can begin to break down barriers to wealth and flourishing. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Jessica Anschutz, the Assistant Director of the Lewis Center, and I am your host for this Leading Ideas Talk. Joining me is Kimberly Daniel, Senior Director of Communications at the Forum for Theological Exploration. She's the co-founder and director of Do Good X, an accelerator for diverse Christian social entrepreneurs and an innovation of FTE, and co-author of A Way Out of No Way, An Approach to Christian Innovation. Welcome, Kimberly. I was very inspired by your book and the stories you lifted up from Do Good X. I appreciated how you included interactive exercises for each of the six steps of Christian innovation, and I look forward to our conversation today. I want to invite you to start off by sharing what brought you to the work of Christian innovation. Well, first, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation and being able to share more about Christian innovation. So what brought me and us to Christian innovation, uh, let me go back to 2017, where Stephen and I, Stephen is the president of the Forum for Theological Exploration, I'll say FTE for short. And we had questions of what are diverse leaders, Christian leaders, seeing in their communities when it as it relates to innovation what is what are they doing uh, as it relates to innovation and in our own stories what is the innovation that has been a part of who we are um in our own personal stories. So we hosted a series at FTE we hosted a series of conversations small conversations over five cities and between that and bringing together community leaders, pastors, uh, entrepreneurs, between that and the work of Duke at X that you mentioned earlier in my introduction, we really got to understand more of uh, what's being done in communities, innovation, what innovation is being done in communities to meet the needs of those who live in the communities. But we also got to see what Christian innovation, what, what is Christian innovation and what Christian innovation is not. And so that inspired us to 
not only look into this work, but to write this book about Christian innovation, because we found that a lot of what's named innovation is really in our in our perspective is not really truly Christian innovation. And we came with that and alongside of our own stories of being black in America and knowing what frugal innovation looks like. And that is where we wound up with a way out of no way. So we were inspired to write this book um, and we were drawn to Christian innovation in that way. So say a little bit more about how Christian innovation is different from other forms of innovation. So I would say, generally speaking, innovation is coming up with a solution to a problem, a challenge, or a need, and the results of it is better than what existed before. That's innovation generally. But for us in particular, Christian innovation is rooted in the teachings of Jesus and God's preferential starting place of addressing the challenges and needs of people who are disenfranchised, people who are socially vulnerable, people who are, are under-resourced and undervalued, and allowing that to be the starting place of where innovation is rooted, that is Christian innovation. So Christian innovation for Stephen and I is ultimately what we say in the book, the ingenious grit of seeing opportunities and unfavorable circumstances and composting available resources to create a way out of no way and persistent challenge. Even under constrained resources, you are composting and you're developing these solutions. Even when you see that there is literally no way of developing solutions, you see light, you see hope, you see possibilities, and you're working within the constraints to develop something that is better than what was experienced before. So I would say, Christian innovation specifically starts with Jesus's teachings. And I will also add to that a lot of what we have seen is that Christian innovation has been named something uh, attached to people or institutions when they have been able to navigate uh, economic or cultural shifts and they come out on the other side of whatever has happened whole and the institution has survived. That is important. And that is a, a, a form of innovation, especially as we experience the pandemic and so many challenges um, and multiple pandemics. That is very important when it comes to innovation, but that is not the type of innovation we're talking about. We're talking about Christian innovation that is not just about a leader or an institution. So how can faith specifically or Christian faith or Christian innovation inform the removal of these of these barriers to wealth and flourishing that that you have explored I would say that that is a big question because <laughs> the barriers to wealth and flourishing are so deeply entrenched in our systems our justice system our economic system all the systems absolutely but I would say that faith, leaders of faith in their small corners of the world, their small corners of their communities, what they can do is 
start to listen, start to notice, um, start to challenge, start to address the challenges that they see uh, that people within their community are facing when it comes to these barriers. And they truly think about how can they empower people, not charity, let's not talk about charity and giving out, but how can they empower people with the resources, with the tools that they need? How can they platform these individuals' voices, give them the platform to speak their own voices, not speak for them, but allow them to speak their own voices? Uh, that is a part of addressing these barriers. Again, that's, that's only a small little piece of it, but I feel that you know, again, going back to our definition of Christian innovation and really starting out with Jesus's teachings and providing empowerment and resources to those who are under-resourced, are undervalued, that's something small that can be done in communities because of in being, being driven by your faith to do that. One of the things I really appreciated about your book, Kimberly, is that you focus on some practitioners that are that are doing this work. Could you lift up an example or two of of how they are addressing these these barriers and what they are doing? Sure. So I'll mention one that's in the book and I'll mention one that's outside of the book because Great. I know in a lot of conversations, I mentioned the, the wonderful leaders that, that are in this book, but I also want to lift up some others who have come up in our work. So one that I'll mention is Kit Evans Ford, Dr. Kit Evans Ford, and she is doing the work of Christian innovation. She is, she is a spiritual director. She has been a professor uh, and she participated in the 2017 Dugadex Startup Accelerator. Through her business, social, her social enterprise, which she sees as her ministry, she is addressing and providing space and support for women who are healing from domestic violence and abuse. And she is providing sources of income for them because she employs them. She's providing a community where they create these beautiful healing bath and body products to be able to send this healing to others in the world. But she is also offering a community of support through holistic services, through providing spaces for these women to stay when they're exiting out of these situations. And this is a part of Kit's own story and our girls, which is named after her grandmother who, who faced this as well. And so through Kit's work, she is starting with Jesus's teachings. She is starting with focusing on women who are healing, who have been survivors, who are survivors, uh, and who have not always had the resources to move forward in their life. And she is providing them with those resources and a community. I'll also mention Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, who is the founder of the Black Church Food Security Network, and he was formerly the pastor of Pleasant Hope Baptist Church. And what he saw walking out in his community in Baltimore was that there was a food mirage, he calls it a food mirage. In that, what that means is that food was there. 
healthy food was there, but it wasn't accessible to people in his community because of the cost. And people within his community and congregation at the time were having diet related issues. And so he looked where his church was and he, there is, there was a plot of land, a small little corner. And what he did was he grew produce for the community. And in one of its earliest years of the Black Church Food Security Network, they grew over 1,200 pounds of food to provide the community. That has now grown to really have an alliance of hundreds of churches, Black churches who are, who are in communities where they were just maintaining the land the lawn maintenance and now shifted that to actually grow food and produce and work with black farmers to give back and provide access to healthy food within their community. So again, starting with God's preferential starting place and giving access to people who didn't, couldn't afford healthy food that would ultimately have an impact on their physical, mental, and even maybe emotional well-being with what they're taking into their bodies. What inspiring examples you have lifted up and, and they're powerful in not only how they address issues of injustice and, and scarcity and redistribution of resources, but also really meet the needs of the people right in the community where um, these folks are serving. One of the things that that comes through in the examples you've just given, Kimberly, and you also lifted up in the book is about being curious, wondering why things are the way that they are. I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners how they can begin to get curious and how they might then respond to, to their experience. Yes, getting curious is so important to truly developing solutions that are needed in communities. I would encourage people to get curious about why things are the way that they are within particular communities. Get curious about what is even a challenge or a need in the community. Part of this work of getting curious is about listening. It's not always about speaking. It's about truly listening to people, truly observing what's going on and really trying to set aside our own kind of interest and really seeing what the needs are and getting curious about them. So when Stephen and I talk about getting curious, it's always asking questions of, why? Why is it this way? Or how did it get this way? Or what can potentially be done to heal this? And so it's really doing some reflection and asking questions, not just of ourselves, but people around us, particularly if your work is based in and addressing a community that you're not from. That's so, so important. And in the process of asking those questions of, of your neighbors, of the people in the community, it's a way of leading into deeper, deeper relationship. 
and deep, even deeper listening. One of the next steps you lift up is about making meaning and the importance of staying curious so that you can make meaning. What does meaning making look like when it comes to Christian innovation? Meaning making when it comes to Christian innovation, we talk about it in three ways. It's about reflecting, reckoning, and interpreting. Reflecting is about working with people within your communities to really get curious and address why things are the way that they are and to do some reflection again not just with yourself that's important but people who are within the community then it's also about reckoning so that's still upholding this piece of getting curious but that's about the why so you see how why you see what exists within the community you wonder why things are the way that they are and why people aren't receiving what it is that they need what needs to be reckoned in order to address what you've reflected on and then you interpret it and this is where you can begin to really look at potential solutions uh, after you're, you've identified the problem and gotten clear about that. So you're looking at what's the cause. You're looking at who actually benefits uh, from what is happening in the community and who really needs to benefit in order for us to address um, what is also named in the Bible and some might say the least of these or people who are again undervalued or underserved. So again, when we're talking about meaning making, we're talking about reflecting, we're talking about reckoning and interpreting in order to get to a potential solution. You've alluded to a little bit, Kimberly, about the need for church leaders to do their to do their own work, but to also be sure that they are setting aside their own preconceived notions and and truly listening deeply to those around them, and particularly in contexts where you may not match the community that you're situated in. In thinking about that, what words of advice or wisdom do you have for, for church leaders to, to do that work personally, and then to set aside their preconceived notions about what may be needed or what may need to be done? That is a good question. I would say it is important to know what your own preconceived notions are, what your own assumptions are that you carry, uh, because that can cloud your judgment if your assumptions are not actually right. Mm -hmm. And there also needs to be a level of discernment too, because the work of particular communities, it's not for all leaders to do. So you have to discern if you are even the right person or if you should come alongside someone else 
as an ally and partner in the work who may be a better fit for charging the efforts and then you come alongside them or maybe it's not something that you should do at all and so again I think in a church leader's own reflections is identifying their assumptions it's discerning if they're the person to do the work or if it's someone else and when you go outside of yourself, sometimes it can actually be helpful to ask others who are in your close-knit community about the assumptions that they have heard you have and carry in your own leadership so that you can hear the wisdom of the community because sometimes they can help you to see things that you don't see yourself. I think that's really powerful advice and also an excellent warning in that you shouldn't just wake up one one day and decide to go out and I'm going to be an innovator and I'm going to resolve this problem or this situation that 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 I see that may not be the the problem or situation that my that my neighbors see or want to have resolved yes I completely agree with that because I also think what can happen too is that someone thinks that it's a problem and it's not actually a problem for the community that they're trying to help. They have good intentions, but good intentions don't always yield positive results. <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> certainly true. One of the things that I have seen church leaders do is expend a lot of energy on generating ideas, putting together plans, and you have committee meeting after committee meeting, and those plans never get put into action. I want to invite you to, to perhaps share from your experience, how can church leaders really experiment with solutions and move from planning into action? Do it. I know it's, it sounds like, <laughs> sound like I'm just, you know, quoting Nike, just, just do <laughs> just it. Do it. <laughs> but moving plans into action. So there's one church leader I talked to recently and I asked them, what is the community losing or not gaining because you your work is stuck in your head or stuck on your whiteboard or stuck on your computer or stuck in conversations and so church leaders yes there is a tendency to come up with these great ideas some not so great ideas but you don't even know if they will work because they don't go beyond the paper and so I would suggest and this is something we do in our accelerator program and with innovative leaders how can you test out if your idea and your plan even works what is something incremental maybe you can't take the full-scale vision and bring that to life yet because of constraints of capacity of finances or what have you but i would say how can you experiment with the idea that you came up with so that you know and you can take those steps to bring these ideas that you have from the paper 
to life. I also kind of put on my life coaching hat where it's like, okay, well, what are your goals? What's your plan of action here? <laughs> what is actually your plan of action? What are you going to do in the next month, three months, six months, a year? Um, but at the end of the day, it all goes back to my question of what are what is your community losing because you're you're not allowing your ideas to actually be taken from taken from paper and into context, into action to help your community. I think that's excellent advice and and wisdom and helpful in a lot of cases, even beyond uh, Christian innovation. One of the things I'm wondering about is you talk about sort of testing the viability of the solution, right? Can you test a piece of it? Is there an example you could lift up from somebody that's gone through one of your programs about how they tested something and perhaps changes or adaptations they made along the way? Sure. So I will go back to Kip since I've mentioned her story earlier, and I can also name some other examples, but going through the program, Kit was still a professor and she experimented with her idea to develop this social enterprise selling bath and bath products and empowering women who are healing from domestic violence and abuse. She put on her scientist hat in the evening after work and she has she has children and she has a husband and she would put her scientist hat on and experiment with uh, different ingredients to create these products, these healing products, because she knew what she wanted to offer to the women, but in order for them to be employed to actually create a product people wanted, she had to get clear and experiment with what exactly that product is. So she started out with a bath bomb and she had to try and she had to keep on experimenting because it would discolor the tub or it didn't hold together or, you know, it didn't have the smell that she desired. And so she experimented and she ultimately came up with a product that worked and that was sellable, that she could sell. And she has pivoted and she has learned along the way, but I name her because this is an a product that is very clear that she was experimented she experimented with in order to develop what she has now which is an array of beautiful products of soap and bath bombs and lip balms and all types of things that she offers now uh, that built upon that experimentation to make sure it met the needs of people she was selling products to in order to give back to these women who she's creating this community for. So there's this there's this cycle and or you know she had to experiment in order to ultimately impact these women. Um, so that's one example of experimentation. And if we go back to even Heber's story. Now, Heber did not go through the accelerator program or anything, but he is someone in, in our network. And again, Heber experimented by using his own, using the land of the church that he was pastoring in order to grow produce to see if the 
even though he saw that it was needed in his community, this is something that he did and he led these endeavors in order to see if it would work for the community. And from that, he has been able to scale it to now become the Black Church Food Security Network. Two very different yet inspiring examples of Christian innovation. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Again, the book is a way out of no way an approach to Christian innovation. Kimberly, for our last question today, I want to invite you to just share words of wisdom. If, if folks are looking to innovate, what would you want them to have in their toolkit or have in mind before they go out to do this work? I would say to come with a sense of curiosity playfulness because in play comes imagination and inspiration. I would also say to come with thought partners who reflect the type of people that you hope to impact in your innovative solutions and can come with diverse ways of thinking and perspectives that may challenge you, but it will give light to the most wise solution that can exist and impact your community the most. So curiosity, playfulness, and also being mindful of not just writing these ideas down on post-it notes, whiteboards to your earlier question, getting stuck on in agendas, but actually taking this to life and knowing most importantly that this work of Christian innovation should be grounded in the teachings of Jesus and the preferential starting place that God talks about in order to be true Christian innovation. And in doing that, you are living out your faith. You are doing the work that the community needs. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for taking the time to be with us today. It's been a joy to, to talk with you. I wish we had more time to hear more of the stories, but I uh, recommend your, your book and hope that more folks will, will check it out as they seek to engage in Christian innovation. Thank you for the opportunity to chat today. I appreciate you, appreciate the platform, and appreciate, appreciate the work that you all are up to. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas.